0: This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. As we wrap up our November, during which time yours truly has actually been elsewhere, we should do some celebrating of going elsewhere, I think, by... Talking with our Turkish correspondent about a trip he took last month to the Republic of Turkey, one of his and my favorite travel destinations. That would be Gordon Smith. Gordon educated us some months back on a previous trip to Turkey uh, regarding its founder, the immortal Kemal Ataturk, one of those truly remarkable figures in world history. This time, we're going to talk to Gordon about his travels in eastern Turkey and what he encountered there. This should be fun. Stay tuned for that in our second segment. But without much further ado, let's jump into today's program and start it as we like to do with On This Date in History. And I must say that as I survey what's happened throughout history on November 29th, I would say this this might be history's most forgettable day. I mean, we take these selections from a wonderful book, titled A Day-by-Day Review of World Events, Today in History. It's based on the History Channel television series This Week in History. And it's, you know, it's chock full of items on any given day. There's 366 of them to choose from. I don't know. Is this the worst? You make the call. Here are the items. It was on November 29th in 1516 that the Treaty of Freiburg was signed promising eternal peace between the Swiss and the French. How about this? November 29th, 1825, in New York City, The Barber of Seville is the first Italian opera to premiere in the United States. Of course, on November 29th in 1897, the first motorcycle r- race took place in Surrey, England. It was won by a Charles Jarrett. Here's one that almost rates as something. But I got my doubts. November 29th, 1929, American explorer Richard E. Byrd and three companions make the first flight over the South Pole, flying from their base in the Ross Ice Shelf to the pole and back in 18 hours, 41 minutes. The reason I got doubts about this cause I, is because I I've read the accounts of Robert Byrd's alleged flight to the North Pole, and he faked, faked, faked it. And, you know, just looking at his picture, to me, he just looks like a weasel. By the way, I would interject that the opinion that Robert E. Byrd, noted Arctic and Antarctic Explorer, looks like a weasel, does not in any way, of course, necessarily reflect the views of KDVS, our sponsors, or the Regents of the University of California. On November 29th in 1947, despite strong Arab opposition, the United Nations voted for the partition of Palestine and the creation of an independent Jewish state. That, That didn't work out so well. November 29th, 1961, in what's described as a prelude to John Glenn's orbital space flight, the first United States satellite carrying an animal—in this case, a five-year-old chimpanzee named Enos—was launched from Cape Canaveral, Florida. I understand when news of this imminent flight was made, Chuck Yeager and the, the test pilots down in uh, at uh, Edwards Air Force Base remarked incredulously a monkey's going to make the first flight. They didn't think too highly of NASA's quick and dirty approach of bolting an animal inside a space capsule and then launching him on top of the rocket. To say that he wasn't exactly piloting the craft is summarized in the phrase, a monkey's going to make the first flight. Of course, to be technically correct, we do point out that chimpanzees are not in fact monkeys, but rather are great apes. So the boys down there should have said, an ape's going to make the first flight. Well, this was a red-letter day in the history of whitewashes. On November 29th, 1963, U.S. President Lyndon B. Johnson established a special commission headed by Supreme Court Chief Justice Earl Warren to investigate the assassination of John F. Kennedy. After 10 months of gathering evidence and avoiding all of the red-hot leads leading in various directions during which time a lot of evidence was disappeared, witnesses were bullied and made to change their story, and numerous pieces of evidence were buried, where they are actually going to stay buried until the year 2039, the Warren Commission concluded, as it was supposed to do, as it was supposed to, that there was no conspiracy in the assassination and that lone nut Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. And although I don't profess to know What went down in that conspiracy, I can tell you that there's more to that story. And you know what? November 29th is such a lame day. We're going to borrow one item from November 30th. It was on November 30th in 1609 that the true face of the moon was first seen by Galileo in Italy. He turned his telescope toward the moon for the first time and made drawings to record what he saw. Galileo's revolutionary treatise, Starry Messenger, which appeared the following March, showed an astonished public that the moon was a cratered world, a new land to be explored. Although it did did take 360 years to finally plant Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin up there. Our quote of the day comes from the late President John F. Kennedy, who said, The time to repair the roof is when the sun is shining. Our quip of the day, and this is one of our favorites, and probably appropriate for this election season, now hopefully behind us, comes from Adlai Stevenson, who was hollered at during a rally when he was running against Dwight Eisenhower for president, and someone said, Governor, every thinking person will be voting for you. To which Stevenson shot back, Madam, that's not enough. I need a majority. Our jokes of the day come from Craig Ferguson, who said in response to news that, uh, The authorities down in Cuba have trotted out new pictures of Fidel Castro, claiming that he's still doing well. Said Ferguson, or at least his writers, Fidel Castro's net worth somehow is over $550 million. I guess you save money when you wear the same outfit for 40 years. Adding, The CIA once tried to kill Fidel Castro with an exploding cigar. Back then, the CIA got their ideas from Roadrunner cartoons. We tried dropping an anvil on his head, and then, then we painted a tunnel on a cliff, and he ran right through it. Our stat of the day, and this is somewhat appropriate for our talk in segment two, is that 54% of Americans say it is more important to have stable governments in the Middle East, even if it means less democracy. 30% say it's more important to have democratic governments. By a 63 to 23% margin, Americans want the U.S. to be less involved, rather than more involved in the region's political changes. That's from the Pew Research Center. And I think at this point we should jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week a few weeks back for geographers. After a house that was slated for demolition in Mount Washington, California, has yielded a priceless collection of tens of thousands of maps. Real estate agent Matthew Greenberg discovered the cartographical treasures upon the death of the house's occupant, John Feathers. Neighbors had no inkling of Feathers' collection, which included a 1592 map of Europe and a rare paved road map of the U.S. from 1918. The maps will turn the Los Angeles Central Library into one of the largest map archives in the United States. Said librarian Glenn Creason, this dwarfs our collection, and we've been collecting for 100 years. On the other hand, it was a a bad week for showing some spine, at least by the U.S. Mint, with the news that due to a, quote, lack of demand, unquote, The Mint plans to curtail production of $1 coins and create only enough to satisfy collectors. Notes the Wall Street Journal, the move will save taxpayers about $50 million a year or about 15 minutes worth of the federal deficit. It's the opinion of Radio Parallax that we need to get rid of the dollar bill because they only last 18 months. You can make a dollar coin, they last for 30 years. They cost more to make, but they're much more economical in the long run. Every other country manages to have coins that are worth something. In America, all we, all we pretty much have now is the quarter. We really need dollar coins, and for that matter, two dollar coins. But uh, our opinion seems to be in the minority on this one. Of course, as you all realize, having a minority opinion does not make you wrong. And finally, it was an ugly week in late October for Stockton, when the bankrupt city of 290000 set a bloody new record for homicides. There were nine deaths in one 48-hour period, including a triple murder and suicide in a retirement home. The spasm of violence brought Stockton's 2012 homicide total to a new city record of 59. Said Officer Joe Silva, whose department has suffered major cutbacks after the city's finances collapsed, I've never seen this many homicides in such a short time span. Our detectives have worked around the clock since Saturday. Well, I tell you, Stockton's always been kind of a tough town and tougher lately. Of course, I guess Stockton's contribution to the housing bubble was to, uh, in its own mind, become a bedroom community for the Bay Area because the land is so cheap. But uh, raising, you know, the the rise in gas prices and uh, the collapse of the... uh, The housing bubble has pretty much driven a stake into the heart of that plan, Because, as we'll talk about in our third segment today, the housing market may be back in the most, (laughs) I don't want to say evil. Well, yeah, I do want to say the most evil way. We'll talk about that in segment three. And Speaking of evil and the business world, Mr. McMillan, it's time we rolled out as we sometimes like to do the Jackass of the Week Award. Our recipient for this week will be Bob Ben Moshi. Who's he? Well, he's the CEO of AIG. Writing in New York Magazine, Jessica Pressler said that Bob Ben Moshi thinks the government is inconsiderate. Adding, if that strikes you as a bit rich coming from the CEO of AIG, well, you're not alone. After all, AIG's $182 billion bailout was one of the most despised events in recent American history. But Ben Moshe, who has a knack for bombastic pronouncements about why the Feds were responsible for the financial crisis and why AIG executives deserve giant bonuses, just doesn't see it that way at all. Ben Moshe says the bailout wasn't a free lunch. The fact is we now have succeeded in getting the Fed back all of their money and we're just close to getting the Treasury paid back. And do you know what? Neither of them has ever said thank you. Wow, Mr. Ben Moshe, the Treasury has not said thank you for bailing your sorry ass out of all the financial chicanery you were involved with. Boy, aren't they a bunch of jerks. We're going to report to you about what we've learned from Griftopia, Matt Taibbi's fantastic book about the financial mess. We may not have time to do that at any great length today, but one of the things that always struck me as very odd about our financial meltdown was that um, these credit default swaps, that AIG uh, contracted with, with all of these um, uh, investment banking companies and did this so that the banks could then go to international and regulatory agencies and say, no, we are, we're fulfilling our obligations. We have this money covered. There was just one problem with it. The regulatory agencies did not require that AIG actually have the money to pay out on these insurance policies. And, uh, and doggone it, as it turns out, they didn't have the money so it's kind of like if I open up an insurance company and, and I sell you a policy that'll pay you X amount of money if something happens, and um, I, I don't have any money to actually pay you, well, I think a lot of people would consider that to be quite a sharp practice. This kind of reminds us of a joke we had on the show, uh, I think, what was it, about a year or two ago? What's the difference between a Somali pirate and a Wall Street pirate? Which was that the Somali pirate doesn't expect you to say thank you after he's robbed you. I believe we have Sharon to thank for that contribution. At any rate, I think he's a jackass. Mr. Mevlin, do the sound effect. And you know what? Uh, we're going to talk about bad business stuff, I think it's some some length in our third segment, but I want to close out segment one here with some funny stuff. We've heard for years about... The homosexual agenda and yet few seem to know what exactly it is well radio parallax has managed to put our hands on a copy of the homosexual agenda and we can now share that with you here it is 7 a.m gym 7:45 massage 8 a.m breakfast of skim milk oatmeal and egg whites with a dash of paprika and a sliced kiwi and maybe a bit of honeydew melon 9 a.m clothes shopping 11 a.m. Brunch, a lightly glazed salmon, asparagus, spinach salad with a vinaigrette dressing. 1.30 p.m. Assume complete control of the U.S. federal, state, and local governmental agencies. 2 p.m. Undermine all healthy marriages. 2.20. Replace all school counselors with gay activists and agents of Colombian drug cartels. 2.45 p.m. Bulldoze all houses of worship. And 3 p.m. Secure Control of the Internet. This is followed by 3.30 p.m. Steam Bath to prevent facial wrinkles from the accumulated stress of World Conquest. 4 p.m. Cocktails. 5 p.m. Chat with Friends regarding subverting all mass media. 6 p.m. Light Dinner of a bisque, some chicken croquettes, and chardonnay. Followed by 8 p.m. Attend Show at Theater. 11 p.m. Bed. And ladies and gentlemen... There you have it, the homosexual agenda. All right, and let's move into uh, one of our perennial favorites, the Radar 100. Sorry to see Radar's no longer on the, the newsstands, but uh, two or three years ago they published a the list, 100 signs you're in the wrong relationship. All right, one sign you're in the wrong relationship, your engagement ring is made of calamari. Number two, she only wears her rape whistle around the house. You're in the wrong relationship. Well, if your name tattooed on his chest has somehow morphed into a Jamaican Bart Simpson, that could be bad. Signs you're in the wrong relationship. Her parents still think you're the gardener. You communicate in sign language, although you're not deaf. All right, how do you know you're in the wrong relationship? Well, that line of duct tape down the center of the bed may be one sign. Also, you have a pool boy, but no pool. Another bad sign, your response to does this skirt make me look fat is no, your giant ass makes you look fat. All right, in the wrong relationship? Well, maybe if your score on the Cosmo compatibility quiz is Kafkaesque. You're in the wrong relationship? Well, yeah, if police rent the house next door so it's easier to respond to your domestic disturbances. And my personal favorite among signs you may be in the wrong relationship, you make love through a hole in the sheet even though you're not Hasidic Jews. All right, one or two is a bonus. These are too good. At your high school reunion, you introduce him as the reason I'm on Paxil. Or she says she likes to swim nude with the dolphins every chance she gets and it turns out it's the Miami Dolphins. (laughs) Alright, let's take a short break and talk about international affairs. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. We'll see if we can't take a trip across the Atlantic to the Republic of Turkey. Get a report on what's going on over there.